The Commonwealth of Massachusetts lays down the law on cannabis. And despite 29 states already using medical marijuana, eight having legalized it, proponents still have to overcome the weed stereotype in the media and in the public. It's July 1st. Retail sales begin in the Commonwealth. Now what? And THC makes you wacky on weed, but what does CBD do and how does it interact in the cannabis flower? All of those episodes coming up on this edition of In the Weeds. This week, brought to you by Vape Daddies, Boston's number one choice for all your vaping supplies. Good job. By the way, there's a skill to ringing that bell. You did a fine job with that. All right. Hi, everybody. I am Jimmy Young, and this is the In the Weeds podcast. And I really am excited about the two guests that we have on the program. They are Rob Durantke from Medwell Clinics down in the Brockton area and Beth Dost, who is the chief clinical officer of Medwell. Is that cool? Cool. We like these titles? Yes, we do. We're, our, we're moving on. This video and podcast can be found on the CLNS Media Network in their Lifestyles section online. It's also available, that app, for CLNS Media on your smartphone and on iTunes. That's where you can find it. So, uh, both you guys, thank you so much for coming in today. I, I just want to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, we have new laws in the Commonwealth. The Cannabis Commission has uh, finally written the laws, and I actually attended one of their hearings earlier last week, and I was fascinated by the fact that they were actually discussing who owns the rights to the seeds in the weed. And that was a fascinating thing to me. And in the same, within about a half an hour, uh, Steve Hoffman, the cannabis commissioner, actually mentioned English Premier Soccer and talked about relegation because he was talking about the different tiers that the farmers will have based on their croppage. And I was just I was like, pinch me. <laughs> I, I cannot believe I'm listening to this in my lifetime. Rob, I, I got to tell you, uh, I've been to Medwell. Yes, sir. Um, it's where I first got my first. Well, it wasn't Medwell, the dispensary, but the walk in clinic that is somewhat affiliated with it around the corner. Uh, no. So we have three clinics that are open. Yep. Actually, we have one in Brockton, one in Brookline and one in Somerville. Yeah. Um, they're all in cro- close proximity to dispensaries mm-hmm. for convenience to the patients, but we yep. have nothing to do with them. OK, well, there you go. There it was. And I was I managed to get my certification there three or two years ago, three years ago, I guess now we're yeah. going into our third, yeah, third year, third year. Um, there's a lot of education that has to be done. Yes. And Beth, with a medical background like you have, you're a registered nurse, I am. among other neat degrees, by the way, great bio, very long and very impressive. Um, how much education are we finding and how many of the people in the medical marijuana community in Massachusetts, and I believe the number is about 49,000, are new users? Are we finding it's um, uh, 10%, 50%? What, what, what have you found in your experience? Well, you, you, it's as much as you would guess it to be, but a surprising number are new users or very old users. So having tried it in high school and are now revisiting it back in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Yeah. And the whole point of making this a legal medicine is because it has tremendous effects. It, it helps people that are in uh, chronic pain. It helps people that have to deal with cancer and chemotherapy. Um, the People that are actually distributing it and educating the patients when they come into the dispensaries, what kind of education is each dispensary doing? What kind of training do they have, Rob? Um, Well, I can only speak to my offices, but we work pretty closely with a lot of the dispensaries, and I know that they 
hand select their staff based on the passion that they have same way we do in our office because like beth said i would say you know anecdotally it's pr- probably 60 to 70 percent of our patients are um, over the age of 50 uh, they tried it in high school or when they were in the service or whenever, um, and it was something that they just casually did, and they didn't really notice the medicinal benefits of it. Um, now that they're in their 60s and 70s and they're dealing with all, you know, 15 prescription bottles on the counter every morning, um, they're trying to find a way as it becomes a little bit more socially acceptable to start eliminating some of those prescriptions and get some of their, you know, daily life back. Um, and that's what we say every day is quality of life. That's all we're trying to accomplish. So from an educational standpoint, that's the most important part because you don't want as important as it is to have good results. It's equally as important to try and eliminate any of the bad results that you're getting from the medicine. So with my staff, um, you know, the physicians themselves have to do ongoing education online, usually um, from multitudes, you know, the University of Vermont has a really great program. And the Mass Medical Society had put out some information, and there's a there's a multitude of them, um, but it's really just ongoing. And then when it once it comes to the dispensary portion of it, uh, what I tell everyone is that they're an expert on the products, and they are able because Massachusetts's laws, and I would say probably eight or nine times out of ten, the product that you're going in to purchase, the medicine you're going in to purchase was, you know, grown or extracted or formulated there, you know, in that building by somebody that you could probably talk to. Um, and that is where the the real knowledge comes from because you're getting hands-on experience with the you know it's not coming from some pharmaceutical company in God knows where. Right. And and Beth, you and I talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, you went to school for nursing. Yes, I did. Doctors like Dr. Bill Walker, who was a did a great job with me this year. In fact, the finest um, screening I've ever yeah. had. Bob Bob Walker. Bob Walker is amazing. Who's Bill Walker? It. Did he play for the Celtics? It's, no, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I always get people's <laughs> names mixed up with sports figures. No. Um, Bob Walker yeah. did a great job with me. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about you're Bob. You're smiling. Yeah. That's a, no, that's a good amazing. sign. He's amazing. Uh, learned a lot from him, and basically I learned take as little as possible to get the maximum benefit. Yeah. It was like a mantra. And and someone from the nursing profession yes. like yourself, Beth, you obviously echo those thoughts. Yes. Yep. It's always better to start low and go slow. And we say that about just about all medications, yeah. really, unless somebody is hospitalized and you have to rapidly address a symptom or um, a disease state that's out of control. You don't have time. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this um, product, if you will, is it's really – I look at it no different than I would look at, uh, for recreational purposes, alcohol, and for medicine purposes like any of the opioids or painkillers that are or, you know analgesics over the mar- over the counter medication like ibuprofen and tylenol that sort of thing and but because of the connotations over the years and because of the reputation you know there's still that uh, stereotype if you will Absolutely. um beth what do you see about how we might best overcome that and educate the public on the benefits of this drug well first of all i'm going to um Disagree with you. Good. This is what I'm here for. Uh, okay. So, um, don't be afraid I, to I do, do that, Rob. Okay. <laughs> I do not think that you can equate cannabis and alcohol. Okay. Good. All right. Because cannabis interfaces directly with the endocannabinoid system. And that is a system that we have in our body. It's the largest modulator of all other systems and was discovered around 1996 by Raphael Meshulam's team in Israel. 
And prior to that, we didn't understand it. We didn't know about it. We know we have other systems, adrenal systems, cardiac systems. We have all sorts of different systems. But this is the mother modulator. So actually, when you supplement, when you take cannabis externally, and you take it in many different forms, echinacea boosts the cannabinoid system, sunshine boosts the cannabinoid system, music can boost the cannabinoid system. We have our own internal pharmacy that makes cannabinoids. And um, when you take it externally through ingesting cannabis in whichever way is your preference, you actually boost a system that is already there. Mm -hmm. And um, it only enhances a system. Alcohol, on the other hand, is a man-made um, drink that comes from fr- poison. Know, ferment. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, and it's it, poison. It poisons the liver. Yes, yes it and does. And sadly, I have, as a nurse, seen too many people die. What I would call um, very um, sad and difficult deaths um, after a, a lifelong, um, uh, effect, you know, love affair with alcohol, and so um, that will never happen with cannabis. And, and that and that's probably one of the reasons why I I have enjoyed it to be honest because mm-hmm. I never I could never drink more than five beers when I was mm-hmm. drinking beer and that mm-hmm. was a long long mm-hmm. time ago I do not drink beer anymore and uh, and so I always found that you know what this is nicer I can control this better yes. I I had ADHD what a shock and it helped me uh, focus better in yes. schools and I know a lot of baby boomers out there have had similar effects. You're shaking your head almost like, you know. I'm shaking your head because you are now the third person that told me that they had ADHD and cannabis. Uh, One uh, person described to me that his thoughts came at him so fast that he could not focus on one to get it to fruition, whether it was a paper or or a project. And when he smoked, it slowed down the incoming uh, pictures of in his mind, and he could take the one that he needed to focus on and take it to fruition. So he credits the use of cannabis with graduating from high school, and he's brilliant and caught through college. It is an amazing. There's yeah. so many, I call them success stories, but they're just mm-hmm. stories of life. Mm-hmm. And it's been part of our culture for so long. And I'll tell you a quick anecdote. Went to a sporting event last week, and we smelled it in the parking lot going to the sporting event. We smelled it coming out of the uh, sporting event. And I'll be honest with you, on in traffic at the, on the Mass Pike when we were ba- backed up because of a work work crew, yeah. the windows were open. It was a, one of those beautiful, mild days. Yep. Guess what? I could smell, smell it coming too. from the cars yeah. around us. Um, to me, the, it's almost been... Um, uh, because it's officially legal now, people are far more comfortable consuming this outdoors and in the public. I know the commission is concerned about that. Yeah. Do you guys uh, that are part of this community, uh, is that a concern of yours, Rob? I mean, no, granted, we're talking yeah, about medicinally here. Yeah, it is a little bit. I think that um, for me as a medical advocate and someone who sees, I don't want to see patients scrutinized for uh, recreational users. So that's the thing is I don't personally have a problem with it. I could care less and I'd be lying to you that if I hadn't done it before in public. But um, the thing is, is that any negative connotation that we carry, whatever it is, um, is going to reflect poorly on the patients who are sick and who need it. So um, there should be places where you can go and you can consume publicly. There should be I don't know if, what the word is for it, lounges, whatever you want to call it, clubs, where people can go and partake um, why wouldn't there be that? But at the same time, if you know you're in traffic on 495 and 
in or 95 and there's uh you know smoke coming out the windows that's not a good look for the medical community as a whole because that's what everyone's going to look at is medical's been here for the past 3 or 4 years and the I, in my personal opinion the common person isn't going to make the distinguish um the 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 differentiation between a patient and a recreational user they're hey. going to look at them as cannabis users right but but what I could say about that, if I speak from a totally medical point of view, is that, you know, somebody sitting in traffic like that might be very anxious, and so they might light up and smoke, and that may help their anxiety, and they actually might do better because they have a problem or they get claustrophobic. I know many people that get claustrophobic in traffic. In traffic yeah. So it depends on what the use is for it. And if we th- we're thinking medical here, if you're um, quelling symptoms, you're making the person more efficient and more, um, and, and they function better in society. And that's really what we're talking about. And so I agree with Rob. Um, I actually had the opportunity to go to a listening session where one of the working groups who advised to the CCC was addressing um, impairment. Mm-hmm. And I could not help but put my hand up as the nurse in the room and um, asked, to define impairment and to tell me who was the qualified person to um, judge impairment. Because as I told you earlier, if you take a beta blocker for your blood pressure, you take it at 8 o'clock in the morning, it's probably going to peak around once, might make you tired. And you're going to be driving if you're right. out on the road or a salesman or whatever. But we don't say blood pressure leads to bad driving. Right. Correct. And I'll tell you, and I, I think the law enforcement uh, people are really have a challenge on their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, I did make that I, slip, if you will, when I talked about alcohol and marijuana. The reason why I use that analogy, you can walk down the street and see five or six right. liquor stores. Right. Yeah, you know, the, the kids are drinking now on binges. They're drinking to get drunk. Right. It's we, the entrance nice. drug. Alcohol is. Yes. I agree 100%. Yes. Right. Yes. I would say with that, though, the easy way to, because I, I understood the comparison you're trying to make with any substance, whatever it is. I'm mm-hmm. not going to use the word controlled substance, but anything that alters your mind or, or your your state of anything. It doesn't matter if it's alcohol. It doesn't matter if it's um, cannabis. It doesn't matter if it's a prescription for Zoloft or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um you can use it medicinally, and you can use it recreationally, and mm-hmm. you can use it irresponsibly, and you can. Use, there's a million different ways to use. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. So, can just like alcohol, there shouldn't be an issue with people using alcohol. What the issue should be is the overconsumption of alcohol or the overconsumption of anything, and what the effects of that are. So, the overconsumption of cannabis doesn't really have any negative effects, or really doesn't have any negative effects, except for you know the psychoactive things. But the overconsumption of alcohol, the overconsumption of prescriptions. I mean, that kills people. So I think that's the important thing to remember is that, you know, cannabis, it can't be overconsumed. It can, it's, it's not, um, like Beth said, well, our bodies are built it, to process it. Yeah. There's really no known toxic dose in, right. uh, for cannabis. Yeah. And that, that is the thing. How many deaths are caused by alcohol versus how many deaths are caused by cannabis? Mm-hmm. And I know the right. figures are, they skew highly on the other side yeah, for absolutely. a number of reasons. One is more people are using alcohol. Mm-hmm. We all recognize that. Mm-hmm. But we also recognize that you just don't feel as out of control when you are under the influence of THC or cannabis as you might with alcohol. Correct. And I think that is, and again, moderation is key in life. We all know that. And some of us can do a better job of that than others, let's just say. But I have a um, 
uh, a, sh- a sheet here looking at the differences alcohol versus marijuana. I figured mm-hmm. we would at least go through them. Short-term effects of uh, alcohol, nausea, vomiting, disorientation, decreased coordination, rapid heart rate, headaches, diarrhea, loss of bladder, bowel control, blackouts involving memory lapses, hangovers, lower lowered inhibitions, and poor decision-making. And those are some pretty bad uh, Sounds like a good time. Things. No, it doesn't sound like a good time. <laughs> and death. And death. Yeah. Well, I did not and put on. That's not that's long term. But I'm, oh, that's, well, I, it actually well, can be short term right. because we You can have we an have adverse had, reaction to it. You can be well, allergic we, to it and get poisoned. Or you can drink so much and then not throw up, and then the people that are with you are also drunk, and they don't know what to do with you, and they let you sleep it off, and the you don't. stories. And that we've heard terrible, sad, tragic stories um, in the news about right alcohol overconsumption and 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 as a parent uh of a 27 year old but i I know other parents who have their children in college yes and the amount of alcohol and drinking that goes on in a college campus to me still is unbelievable well like you said before um kids in college drink to get drunk they slam it back where not just not just college high school kids to underage underage kids we know that and adults drink it more for social a glass of wine at dinner to relax you after dinner that's right looking for the same kind of effects that the cannabis can give yes for instance coughing fits Okay. Short attention span, difficulty with problem solving, fatigue, and food cravings. So, uh, if you look at one side of the ledger, the alcohol side of the ledger, there's some scary things in there. If you look at the marijuana side of the ledger, there are things there that are they're definitely part of the effects, but not dangerous in a lot of ways and if you uh, if you're following Stace, dr stacy gruber very proud of her here in massachusetts and mclean's hospital you know now know that frontal lobe is showing improvement with use of cannabis Fr- frontal lobe functioning so that's the creative the creative that, function that part that yep, yep the creative the judgment etc so we're finding that contrary to proper popular belief that the, she is finding that frontal lobe is actually having, there are some improvement in function. And this is perhaps the greatest weapon that the cannabis industry has going for it is the scientific research that is being Huge. done, not just here so in this nice country, thing. but I, I read recently that Israel is one of the countries that is leading They're the way in sure. identifying yeah. what are the most uh, uh, best ways to handle this. Yes, yes. So I, I love that. I just like to give a shout out to my friends yep, from yep. the, the Israel. You know, Raphael Meshulam and his team. And Look at that. You even them. know somebody yes, there. there yeah. well, they discovered the endocannabinoid system. They're the ones that yeah. figured out you know, why when you smoke a joint, you get high. They figured that out. Yep. Now, this is a perfect example of why education and a public service campaign is so, I believe, so important about this. You're listening to In the Weeds, a podcast about the cannabis industry, brought to you by Vape Daddies, with four locations in the greater Boston, Massachusetts area in Norwood, Framingham, Braintree, and Newton.